A cold brew, toes dug into the warm sand, and the sound of the surf crashing on the shore. There's no better place to be at than the beach. The world contains 372,000 miles of coastline. That's a lot of sand and a lot of stories. So how does pop culture portray those stories? What is so compelling about the beach? What do the characters who populate these oceanfront areas have in common? Tune into the four-part Pop Bonsai Beach set to find out as we explore beaches in Hollywood, documentaries, novels, and music in this summer's Beach Set. So Jay, I want to start off by apologizing about the echo. All right. The Echo okay. is going to be here today. And it might be here next episode. I just moved into a new place. I have no shit. So the only thing I have keeping me company is this Echo. Echo, Echo, Echo. So with that being said, Jay, in the middle of our beach set, I moved to the beach. I can't believe it. I moved I to the beach, paradise. boy. You're paradise. Beach boy. So you made it across the lagoon. Yeah, I, I want to talk about something very important. Uh, so I've been living in this a beach apartment for a week now. Literally, just walk outside and go swimming, whatever it is. Here is what I want to talk about. Here is the reality of beach living. Sand is fucking everywhere, Jay. You can't <laughs> escape it. It is, uh, a, it is now a factor in my life. I didn't realize, of course, I should have that you live on the beach or on the beach all the time, you're gonna track in sand. It's gonna attach to you. It's gonna get in crevices. It's gonna get in crannies. It's gonna get nooks, Jay. And then it's gonna fall out onto your floor, in your bathtub, in your sheets. No matter how much you shower off before you come in, it is a thing. And I think you just have to accept that, Jay. You know, that's something that uh, I'm gonna leave you to comment on because I, yeah. Oh, so so what you're saying is is you're starting to get like Anakin Skywalker, where you just hate. <laughs> yes. Are you telling me? You know what? People make fun of that line a lot, right? It's one of the most made fun of lines, maybe all of uh, American cinema. I'm not talking about French because they got some bullshit lines, but I'm talking about American cinema. I hate sand. It's so coarse. But now might be one of the most brilliant lines in my mind. <laughs> it speaks to a truth that only myself, a few beach livers and Tuscan Raiders understand mm -hmm. that the beach and sand can be a real bitch. Welcome to the Pop Bonsai Podcast. Bonsai! That was a quick intro, Jay. We're going to get right Fine. into it today because we're talking about a book. <laughs> once, you start, once you bring up the uh, uh, prequel trilogy in Star Wars, you, gotta, you just got to get right into it. You got to nix it right there, huh? So welcome to the Pop Bonsai Podcast. If it's your first time joining us, what we do on the Pop Bonsai Podcast is myself, Travis, and my podcast partner, Jay, over there. We 
take a big theme like this. You tuned into a beach episode, so that means there's we're doing four episodes on beaches, and we're going to look at beaches through the lens of pop culture. We did a uh, movie, big Hollywood movie, Point Break. We did a documentary, uh, Dogtown the Z-Boys. We're doing uh, a playlist next episode where we, we Jay and I compile our favorite, I, I, I even start on that one, I can't, I can't wait to. No, I haven't can, either. Can, compile our favorite beach song playlist like what what we'll talk about we'll 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 talk a little bit about how we're gonna go about that uh but today jay we've got a book what are we what are we talking about today today we are talking about the beach the novel by the alex garland the titular beach that's it one and only yeah you can't do a like beach missed... segment without having uh, a just like we should have done beaches with Bette Midler first of all. You, so I, so I was just, just gonna about, you gotta get in there. I'm, you gotta get in there. I talk a lot, Jay. You gotta snake. <laughs> I was right there, man. What's this? What's the song from Beaches? It's the. It's a really famous one. Uh, wind beneath my wings. Yeah, yeah. You are the wind beneath my wings. We might have to do an extra episode of the beach podcast just so we can get beaches in there i think we have to let me tell you something jay i've never seen the movie beaches i haven't either i just remember everyone used to cry when they mentioned it just the mere mention of it would bring tears to to middle-aged women's eyes back in the 80s it was a real mom movie i remember my mom having this the soundtrack on cassette in the car um let me listen to it and that's how i know the music um I believe there's a song like Over the Shoulder Boulder Holder. Maybe that's another Bette Midler song. Anyways, <laughs> a song for a different podcast. Back to the beach. We are we re- we read uh, Jay and I read uh, Alex Garland's 1996 novel The Beach, um, and this is a book that I have read several times. Not for well, I won't get it. I, I won't preface that. I've read several times, and I just reread again. And Jay, this is a book that you have been re- you read for the first time. Yes, indeed. So first time beach reader. I'm going to. Uh, I got a lot of questions for Jay, and we're going to talk about uh, the book in relation to some of the other ideas we've talked about with beaches on our previous podcast. But a, a quick rundown of the novel, The Beach, because it was made into a like 1998, 1999 film starring Leonardo DiCaprio, directed by. Who's the guy who did Slumdog Millionaire and Train Spotting? Danny, Danny, Danny Boyle. Boyle. Yeah, Danny Boyle. Um, so the book follows a, a English backpacker named Richard uh, who goes to Thailand and he's in search of an authentic adventure, uh, uh, an authentic experience. And he likes to go to Asia because he believes he can get that there. Uh, through a, an encounter at a hostel with a stranger named Daffy, he is given a map, a hand-drawn map, to a secluded beach in Thailand. And he doesn't know if this map is real or whatever it is. He meets some fellow travelers, Etienne and Francoise, from, uh, a couple from France, and then they go in search of this hidden beach. 
So they go all through Thailand and they, they will talk about like how they get there. Anyways, they arrive on this hidden beach through some trials and tribulations and they find that it is paradise. It is a hidden cove of travelers from all around the world who have gone to live on this beach and just live off the grid and live in a small commune-like community. But as the novel progresses, we find out that sometimes paradise isn't all it's cracked up to be. And some, not, all that glitters is not gold, Jay. Yes. So um, yes. Uh, I'm sure as we talk about specific points and plots, uh, uh, some there will be some spoilers in this uh, podcast. Uh, but um, yeah, that's it. I got no. But what you can turn it off now. That's all I got for you. <laughs> all right, Jay. So uh, first, first impressions of the beach, and you will not hurt my feelings uh, if if just because I was like, oh, we should read this. Um, you will just break my heart. No. So um, I I listened to the audio book. I'll start with that. And I um, I liked it. I honestly did. Your voice and went up real high there, Jay. What did it? I, oh. I liked it. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> and I so one thing really comes to mind last time last episode you said that one of the things that you liked a lot about point break the movie um is that you really enjoyed how um it it the it had a knack of naturally progressing the plot throughout the movie um and i thought that that this book had a knack of naturally uh, developing characters, you mm. know, through the through the, the main characters' like internal monologues, instead of just saying, "Well, this is X, and this is this, and this, and this, and this is Y, and this, and this, and this." You got to know each of the characters that he encounters in this paradise community through like, almost like through his eyes the it is, same it way is written in first person so we are getting yeah. it through richard he's telling it from whatever present future of the past of his experiences yeah 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 so you get to know you know uh, bugs and throughout the thing you get to know what he physically looks like what his demeanor is like what his little by little and i just i found that i i've I don't think I've read a book that does it like so well. That's a good point. You know? I never thought about that. You're right. Because it's just through a Richard's first person point of view. When he gets to the Island, all these characters are new to him as they are new to us. Um, however, because he stays on the beach for a while, you get his first impressions and then you get little snippets as those characters build. So some characters that he wasn't maybe fond of at the beginning when he first meets them, and we get that kind of point of view, um, maybe like Kitty uh, when he first meets him. Uh, as it progresses, it's like any kind of organic relationship. Some of those, those perceptions of those characters grew from that, and others were... Um, spun the opposite you know they were they were the opposite of, of what he originally uh thought about those characters that's a that's an excellent point yeah and and it was really interesting also like you when he first meets some people he maybe thinks of them as one way and then by the end there's something completely different and 
um, it's just kind of neat the, to experience that through him because, like I said, you don't get the laundry list of characteristics right off the bat. You know, you gotta you gotta get them little by little. You get this information about each character little by little. You know, and then you know, it's like you get like like I said, you get to know him the way he does. Yeah, and it's it's very natural and it's, it's great. Yeah. So this book, it's kind of like. Uh, you get a you get a good long exposition of them getting to the beach. And there's a lot of talk about the beach and, and stuff like that, and I think that is one of my favorite parts of the book is like the kind of lead up into into it, the traveling to the beach. But let's talk about the beach as a location, a setting for an ideal utopia within a novel. I mean, this is I think Alex Garland. Al, first, we should say Alex Garland. You, if you're listening to this podcast, you're gonna read this book. You've probably are aware of Alex Garland, even if you don't know it, through his film work. He wrote uh, 28 Days Later. He wrote uh, Dread, that, that Judge Dread um, reboot in the mid-2000s. Uh, he did uh, Sunshine. I guess a lot of people don't know Sunshine, but that was a really great sci-fi movie. Um, he uh, did uh, Ex Machina. He wrote and directed that. Mm-hmm. He did that new one, Annihilation, which I wasn't a big fan of with mm-hmm. Natalie Portman in it, but some people really liked that one. So he's got a real sci-fi genre kind of writer. Um, and this is kind of... One of the things I like about this book is it's, it's, it is not a specific genre. I guess you could maybe say backpacker or adventure at, at its heart, but it really mm-hmm. feels like a drama or you might even be able to say i don't want i wouldn't say dystopian but let's talk about that now that that's said let's talk about him using this beach as a utopia as a setting for utopia have you what do you think about the beach being representative of that like the location of a beach um i think it makes perfect sense i mean uh you know this could have even been set in like a post-apocalyptic time, you know, and, and, you know, having the beach being isolated from the rest of the world, having its own rules, having its own, um, ecosystem structure. Yeah. Yeah. It's own self-contained little ecosystem. Yeah. that's, That's a great way to put it. Um, just far removed from the rest of the world. And, exactly aligned to what these kind of people uh, are looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, because like you said, they're all kind of the same type of people. They're all, you know, young, I don't 20 think any, to 30 yeah, year old um, yeah. expat uh, travelers who were all right. looking for uh, kind of a rager's. They want, they wanted to see things and experience things that there's a big this is one of the books that, for me, distinguish the difference between a traveler and a tourist. Oh right? yeah, you know, Easy. and that that idea that that's that's a real clear through line in there, and it really does divide it in camps. And if you're on the tourist side of things, you are on the wrong side of that equation as far as Alex Garland is concerned. The characters in this book, right? But as right. far as the beach as a setting, as as you said, one of the things that I, I I found in this read, in this read, I really read it in the sense of our theme beaches and, and based on kind of what we've talked about one of the things that a, a beach offers in this novel and as a setting is not only does it offer the beach because it's a, a place of subsistence right you can fish there i mean it provides yeah. for you like it's it's you don't have to 
grow stuff. You can. They, they grow some. They have a garden on the island. But you can go in the water and just pull out fish. Two, it provides entertainment, right? They can play soccer on the beach. They can go snorkeling. There's all kinds of games that they do on the beach for entertainment. And then it's tranquility and beauty as well. I mean, there's so many scenes where it's just about the beauty of the beach and the, the tranquility and the peacefulness of, of the beach. And that it, they, they, they put that in the movie as well. And so I started thinking about the beach. I'm like, wow, the, a beach setting really does provide a lot. It provides you sustenance, uh, entertainment, beauty, tranquility. I mean, everything that you really need to be happy as a person can be found on a shoreline of a beach and two miles in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that any beach is almost a natural, you're like automatically removed from the rest of the world. Once you reach a coastline, it's almost like it, it, it's, it's just an, uh, a separation from everything else. You know, you, 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 come up to the water, you know, like we talked about last episode, you know, it's, you can't help but get caught up in, in its tranquility in its vastness. And then everything else just kind of falls away. And it's, it's interesting because it's almost like it is its own separate e ecosystem yeah, yeah, yeah. anyway. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. As know? opposed to the mountains where it's, it, you've, it doesn't feel as secluded because it, it's, it's your the terrain is so vast, but you're on the edge of something at a beach. And what's interesting about the beach in this book is it's in a lagoon. So they're on the beach and it's surrounded by these high cliffs. So the only way to get out into the open water, you, it's not like a boat can come by and see them waving from the shore. It's even yeah. secluded within itself. Um, so much so that, that when they filmed the movie, The Beach, that was a secluded island. And then after they filmed the movie, because it's so beautiful if you've seen that movie, in the Putt-Putt Islands, that beach was destroyed. So much so that now you cannot go there because they are trying to build up the ecosystem. The reefs were destroyed, all those. those because it's so interesting that, that the, the book is all about getting away from tourists and how tourists ruin everything. And the movie came out to show the story and then the tourists ruin. Ah, <laughs> oh, the irony. Yeah, that figures. Yeah. Um, so one, another thing I want to ask you about this is Alex Garland, when, this, when he came out with this, this book in 96, he was kind of hailed and labeled, I guess not hailed, I'll say labeled. He was labeled a Gen X, a voice of Generation X uh, and a Gen X writer, as many uh, artists in the, the mid to late 90s were. What do you think they mean by when they call someone the voice of Gen X? And has that changed from the 90s when they were saying that as to now? Um, so what I feel like, like a Gen X type thing as far as... Uh, I guess you approach it from this novel. Like this what is Gen X about this novel? Um, I Gen think X. a lot of it is, is the main character's attitude. Mm -hmm. towards the world mm -hmm. and like his distaste for uh you know run-of-the-mill society and always looking you, you know it's kind of like uh uh it sort of reminds me of like like fight club in a way where or train you know, the guy yeah yeah you know where the character is like you know 
this life just sucks. E- even like Neo's character in the Matrix, mm-hmm. you know, all those are super Gen X, you know, where, you know, regular life sucks. There's got to be some, some, I'm, I am better than this, you know, I, and, you know, there's, there's got to be more, something more meaningful, something, you know, out there that I'm just, I'm missing. I need to find it. And then, you know, but they do. And, and, and is it worth it? You know, uh, it's kind of like that. That's kind of what Having I see. Said that, you're, you're shaking your head here on, for the audio version of the podcast. You know, <laughs> the podcast there is. Uh, did you did you relate to Richard in any of those Gen X ways? Since you're Generation X as well. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I totally do. I, I'm so misunderstood by the rest of society. I don't get it. You know. Yeah. Kind of thing, it's, and very at a very young age, very like drawing lines in the sand all the time. Obsessed with yes. pop culture as well. Also, the obsession with pop culture. There's a lot of pop culture references in this too, especially gaming in like '96. When I say gaming, before that term gaming was even used in 1996, it was like Nintendo's Game Boy and Super Game Nintendo Boys. and Sega yeah. Genesis <laughs> and arcades. And that's what you had. And those come up quite a bit. And I remember the first time I read this novel, probably in like 99, that was a real selling point for me, is that they did eight paragraphs talking about Street Fighter and being Blanca versus being, you know, like Ryu and like how to fight that game. And that to me feels very Gen X too, as a writer devotes that much time to talking about a a character in a Street Fighter 2. Yeah, yeah. So, so let me ask you, what, in your opinion, made book Garland a Gen X? Well, yeah, I think. Um, oh, did I lose you there? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think you you hit the nail on the head. Is the kind of disillusionment with society as a uh, uh, the current state of society um, the the distaste of commercialism, but also the reliance on it, the hypocrisy that, that kind of comes with generation X is this tape, this taste yeah. in uh, commercialism, but yet this you're sucking at the teat of it. So he's like, I hate tourists, but he gets upset when the batteries on the game boy die and he can't play uh, uh, <laughs> Wario or whatever it is, you know, yeah. uh, the hypocrisy of that, um, I wonder if even Alex Garland, because he was young when he wrote this and a Gen Xer, if he even recognized the hypocrisy in in the character of Richard, uh, which seems to be based a lot on him, because I know he traveled through Europe and Asia and backpacked and lived this life in the early 90s. So a lot of the the idea uh-huh. and the characters in here and the types of people and places uh, are from his own experiences. I wonder if he was able... I'm sure now he recognizes the hypocrisy in it, but um, I wonder at the time if he does. I don't know, man. It's one of the things that you just kind of... uh, That's the way it was. Like you said, I don't think anyone really recognized the hypocrisy at the time of it. I know I didn't. Yeah. Well, it's the whole grunge thing, too. It's like, oh, we're grunge. We hate commercialism, but... Oh, it's punk, the reason we punk can too. the reason we can make it is because it's selling and it's commercial. Yeah, right, right. The only reason I can you know sit in my room and listen to my punk records is because my parents go out there and have a job and they pay for it all. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess the the big turn in this in this book uh, comes 
when Richard, you know, you get that, that rising action of like almost montage-esque of, of him enjoying the beach and, and all the cool people he's meeting and like the, the drama of the beach. Like any society has its own micro dramas and its own factions and its own, you know, tribes within there. Uh, but it's a functioning society. And things change when... So one of the key plot points is Richard gives a copy of the map to two American travelers before he even knows the beach is real. He, he meets like these two like Harvard or Stanford guys who are like these like intellectual stoner surfer dudes and he gets high with them. And before he leaves the beach, he gives them a copy of the map. And that becomes the, the start of like the really this, in the middle of the second act where these people are now on the way to the beach. And Richard is in charge of, of monitoring their progress to the beach and ultimately trying to stop them from getting to the beach. Because the, the whole thing of this society is Richard wasn't supposed to be on this beach. It was a real dilemma when he arrived there and people didn't want him there. And like, what? It kind of was an upheaval. Like, are more people going to come? Is this going to be like Koh Samu? Is this going to be like Koh Panyang? And um, so it's his job to now become a guardian of, of the beach. And that escalates the stakes because in order to protect this beach, uh, in particular, a character named Sal, who is the ipso factor leader of the beach, is willing to do whatever it takes to keep the peace of the beach. Um, so what do you think about the ultimate direction of what this comes into? Like almost, it's almost like a psychological thriller towards the end. Uh, Cause it's a slow burn in the beginning. Is, is, is that where you, you have enough time to sit with this book where it could go different directions. And then when it finally gets its legs underneath it and you see it is this kind of psychological thriller, is that where you wanted this to go? Or did you think it was going to take a different uh, uh, route? Well, so one of the things about, about this utopian village, this utopian little society that they, uh, that they made is that it's always under the 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 heavy shadow of a marijuana farm and uh this marijuana farm is run by like thai gangsters and these guys uh guard it they're uh they've got dudes with machine guns roaming around and it's always kind of a um uh, how should I put it? It's like a tense existence living underneath the shadow of these of these uh, marijuana farmers. And so, as soon as they kind of, you know, they're just like, "Well, we, you know, they know we're here. We know they're there, but we we leave each other alone. We don't really interact. And and they're 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 heavy guys. They're they're you know we don't we don't mess with them." As soon as that tension starts, I'm like, okay, something's going to happen with the marijuana farmers mm -hmm. and st stuff's going to get messed up. So I kind of saw it happening yeah, like that. So it wasn't a huge surprise that it went where it went. Yeah. Um, if that answers your question, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I didn't mind. I didn't mind. Yeah, I remember 
You know, some stories I think do such a like a, a good job of building this world. I think that's what this book. This book by no means is a literary masterpiece. It's it really is a beach read. Uh, it's a quick read, uh, and you know you get to introduce these fun characters. But I think it. We think of world building. We always think of like science fiction or fantasy, right? Like building this world. But here, you know, Alex Garland is able to give this fictional beach this real world location and build characters and an environment in it where i don't know in my early days when i I read this book it made me want to travel like that it really i mean this is a book much like on the road that if you read it during a certain age of your life, it makes a bigger difference than if you're, you know, in your forties reading it for the first time. If you're in your forties reading it for your first time, it's a little gauche. It's a little bit like, Oh, these characters are annoying. You know, Oh, that person's annoying. Francoise is annoying. And Sal is a a very cunty and you know, all these, all these people. (laughs) But when you're, you know, like 19 and reading it, you're like, I want to do that. I want to, I want to discover a world with other people that's just ours, you know, that the Magellan, the Columbus aspect of it, that, that when you're 19, 20, 21, 22, in your 20s, you're just like, I want to go somewhere that no one else has been. And that's so hard for us to do in 2021 or in the 2000s is to go to undiscovered places. The map, everything has been mapped out. You know, we don't have the... Besides Bezos shooting people in the space, we don't have that kind of capability yet. So the this idea of new frontiers and new experiences, I think you see it with this generation, young generation, constantly trying to snap on their phone pictures of them in these postcard locales. So, for example, outside of my apartment is uh, Tamuning. It's this big bay in, in Guam where all the hotels are. And three times, I've been here for a week, and three times I've gone out there just to go swimming in the ocean, and there'll be a girl in a bikini with a guy with his cell phone, and she'll wade out into the water about waist deep, and you see him just like snapping photos for about 15 or 20 minutes as she's doing the poses. I've seen it three times. This, <laughs> this sense of like, it's not about going anywhere new. It's about capturing you at all the places there are to go. And I think for older millennials and Generation Xers, it's about finding the new. And I think about this new generation, it's about capturing the now. Uh, and yeah. that makes, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. And it also... From what I gather, what you're saying, Gen Xers had more of a, they were coming from more of a, a, an enlight, a personal enlightenment opposed to something superficial like, hey, look where I'm at is and posting it on a public platform you know what yeah I, mean? I guess generation x would be more instinctual as uh it seems more instinctual of an age group at 19 to be like i want to go beyond i want to get away from what i know to find what i am right yeah and i feel that maybe not for everyone of course but i feel like now it's more like i want to put myself 
where things are and then look at them to define who I am. Like the where I am defines who I am or what I've done defines who I am as opposed to what I haven't done, right? This Generation X is like, I'm defined by this urge to do things that I haven't done. And this generation seems to be like, I'm defined by what I've done. And here, I have also uh, captured it and, and categorized it for you. Right, right. Uh, uh, you know, validate me kind yeah. of thing, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, here's my pictures of this exotic locale. Like me, like it. Yeah, and there's no... There, I, I, I'm thinking your approval. There doesn't seem to be... I mean, there are certainly segments of that that, that seem to be like Richard and his gang of, of uh, traveling misfits, but there doesn't seem to be that disgust for everything tourist and commercial uh, today. So I don't know how long yeah. the, the, this book... I think it sold close to a million copies, this book. Um, and it was a, it's kind of a cult book among the Backpacker Society, uh, because it does have the the fun and thrill of discovering a new place with close friends, but it also has the downside to that too, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, downside being cannibalism. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and, and you know. What happens when when shit hits the fan? Mm. Who who has to make those tough calls? You know uh, that kind of thing. And and it's funny because it's like when when stuff happens, you know, there's incidents with sharks. There's uh, you know, and it's almost like then you start to it's like then a lot of the people start resenting the leadership within. Mm -hmm. the, the group and then and now there's division and now that that leadership becomes you know the enemy much like you know in in, in outside society you know like we're talking about the older people are the enemy and now there's you find that aspect within your own little community and well one of the things we found through all three of our, our beach things so far is tribal culture we saw an important break with the um the ex extreme sport guys, uh, uh, Bodie and his, his gang and, and Keanu Reeves trying to get in there and ingratiate himself into it, right? That he's, yeah. Keanu Reeves would be the Richard character in this analogy. And then in Dogtown, the Z-Boys, you also have that very tribal mm. culture, uh, very close-knit. The small micro-dramas become huge in that. Right, right? yeah. In both those worlds, right? Um, and also even in... Uh, point Break, you have like love interests that are like, you know, kind of bring in there. You also see that, well, I was thinking the fictionalized version of Dogtown, the Z-Boys, but, um, and then you have that in, in this too. So one of the things that we have inadvertently kind of discovered, at least through our three picks, is that maybe, is there something about the beach that breeds tribal culture and more small community living? That's think? very interesting. It's very interesting. I, I think it almost goes back to like what I was saying. It's like groups that live closer to this, to the beach tend to develop their own tribal culture outside of, uh, you know, mainland right even dogtown even even more so than like santa monica there was like the coast there was dogtown that was its own separate thing 
Um, that's interesting. Because yep. you think about in the mountains, it's about like, it seems more about seclusion, right? You have your cabin and you're like five, six miles away from the next cabin. Maybe you like meet up at the small town bar or whatever it is, but it's not this daily communal culture of which is like, we live on the beach, we, everything is done in a group, whether it's Bodie uh, and Johnny Utah or the Z boys or Richard and the people on the beach. It seems very mm. much more commute, smaller, but communal than certainly city life, which is about you in a city life. You have to be prepared to be part of a lot of different tribes. Right, right. That you you are like these are my bowling buddies, and these are my drinking buddies, and these are my work buddies, and these are my you know whatever it is. In the in the mountains or in the middle of the country, it seems more about your family. Like you're okay. I got my family to help raise a farm, or I got my family, and we're living on this part of the mountain. Other people are on this part of the mountain, but on the beach, it really does seem like a collection of outsiders. Now, beaches tend to be more yeah. expensive to live in, and because property is so so sparse on a beach, you tend to get a lot of people who live on the beach tend to live in single apartments or uh, single home dwellings. So you don't have a huge family culture. So what you get is a bunch of single people paying for that beachfront real estate and apartments who then develop start to develop their own tribes on this coast. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's we got someplace uh, deep there. Parallels. We got someplace I, deep there, Jay. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I did not see that coming. Welcome to the Pop Bonsai Podcast. <laughs> it's this echo. It makes everything sound so much deeper. <laughs> so talk to me. But, uh, oh, go ahead, please. No, 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 no. I was. Go ahead. I, we should move on. So yeah. So we uh, good. I want to make sure we touch. I want to make sure we linked it back to our theme. But now we linked it back to our theme. Let's talk about some of the uh, um, ancillary characters in here because you get a mix of them and you get, you get lots of different personalities to see yourself through. What are some of your favorite characters or care or okay, as I always do, like what was your favorite character to um, to follow, and also which character do you think that you would fit slot into in the beach if it was like okay you. You don't get to pick one. You have to, which one do you think you would, would be? Well, that's tough because I didn't see myself a hundred percent in any of these people. I saw aspects of myself in a few. Um, but I think, um, you know, without trying to sound like a, like a big old cliche, um, Richard, I was really interesting to me in in one way. I for some weird reason, I always admire um a a character that okay, so when we first meet Richard and we also meet fellow travelers, uh French travelers, Entienne uh, and and Francois he immediately has a crush on Francois because she's supposed to be this you know, super beautiful lady. Yeah. But he can't touch her because she's in a very happy relationship with her boyfriend who is a really cool guy. And very and capable guy, which makes yeah, it that there's the cap your, your abilities. What, what, uh, well, go ahead. I'll just say, he, like, like, you know, like, like, like you were saying, he's 
he's just a cool guy and yeah he is capable he's smart he's not a jerk um and for that reason he admires her from afar sort of i mean there are some moments but he leaves her alone because of this because he likes him and he has respect for him and so he doesn't just say oh you know what screw this i'm gonna go for her um and i really liked that yeah i really liked that he didn't get her Mm -hmm. in the book yes yes Um, we're talking about the movie in a second so i'm glad you watched it so i think that that's that's a really good point i i I think i see myself in richard the most too and i think that is the the number one thing is like you know i'm a hopeless romantics you always get these crushes but when something bigger than that comes along i'm always about trying to find myself and where do i fit into a society more and i almost get off on that more than like oh i gotta have a girlfriend all the time or i gotta like have a wife and i I see that in richard like as soon as he gets to the beach and is caught up in his his duties and in the the beauty and in, in the the whole shebang of the beach like that's enough to keep him hands off of Francoise because he's yeah. his life is so much more than just this crush. And I th- I don't think a lot of stories, as you can see, even a few years later in the movie, let's just say right now, in the movie, the Richard ends up dating an affair. Like, they become a couple in it. Yeah. And yeah. it's very Hollywood. Of course, you have Leonardo DiCaprio. you got to have him, like, making out in phosphorescent shrimp water or glowworm water <laughs> um and she's so she's hot in that movie too the, the actress to get the dude i i really i really like it was it was well cast and and once you well see cast. the movie it's impossible to reread the book without thinking of francois as that i can think of richard as someone other than than uh leonardo dicaprio although i think leo oh, did yeah. the job but uh yeah i think i think I think that's something you don't see in books is a a a, a, a main protagonist who gets a female love interest served up on a platter for him. As the writer sets it up, it's served up there. And they even will go back to it several times in the book and give it the, "Uh, Richard, uh, no, you did not say anything offensive. What are you? What are you afraid you said, Richard? Are you afraid you said I love you? No, Francois, (laughs) it's okay. You say it. And then later she's like, you did say it, Richard. Richard, I like you too. And he's like, you know, and it's just like, but they don't, they don't give you that release. They don't give you that cliche thing, you know? Yeah. I really like that. I, I like that he, um, you know, he, he, he became an, a, a, a fairly decent contributor to that society. You know, he became kind of a, for a while, a pretty selfless guy, you know, he'd go out there and he'd fish, he'd do his part. He'd, you know, he recognized the, the benefit of of putting yourself into this community and 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 just being a part of being a vital part of it and i think that's another reason why he didn't want to screw with that cuz he knew if if he did that it would come crumbling apart a lot faster than it actually did well you, you talk about that made me think about another aspect of this book that's a big aspect and it might be able to connect to the idea of the beach so in this book, there's a character named Daffy. Daffy is the guy, the nickname of the guy who gives him the map uh, to get yeah. to the beach. 
And the thing that Daffy and Richard share in common is this kind of love of Vietnam, the culture of Vietnam, like the, the Hollywood culture of Vietnam, the uh, me love you long time, uh, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Like, and so Daffy ends up committing suicide and slides the map under Richard's door. So he's a dead character, but he appears several times in this cartoonist, halluc cartoonist hallucination of Richard's imagination. And it's always about Vietnam and how he's associating the beach with Vietnam. <laughs> and to me, I always love, that's, my, that's like my favorite war to study because of the, the, the era in which it happened with the music and the, the writers and the people who were able to do that. But Vietnam is somehow intricately linked to an idea of a beach. And you, do you think it's like 1960s and 70s surf culture that connects it, Vietnam, to uh, beach living and stuff so much? That's a good question. Um, I, I think it's... You know, you mean because like Apocalypse do you Now? Link, yeah, do you, link, do you link, like, when you think of Vietnam, do you think of like beaches and, and like, do you, do you think of more of that culture? Like, I think of World War II, I think of it, it's so industrial. I think of East Coast, factories, uh, uh, German, you know, like all this stuff. But when you think of Vietnam, obviously it's in the tropics. It's, it's in Vietnam. They're in Thailand in this book. But it does seem like it's in the trop you know, subtropical tropics. It does seem linked to beach culture because I think beach culture is so intrinsically linked to 1960s and 70s. Interesting. In Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. I mean, uh, I've never really thought of it like that. And, and the only, when, when you mention it, the first thing that comes out is that scene in Apocalypse yeah. Now with it. Charlie, you don't get your surf. ass out there. Get out of the surf. <laughs> He's so great. What a great scene. Bobby D. Yeah. <laughs> never yeah, leave I... the boat. Never leave the boat. <laughs> the fucking tiger, man. <laughs> Just trying to get some mangoes, man. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what do you think about Daffy? That that Daffy being used as a device to get a little bit more out there in the story, to get a little bit awesome. more psychedelic. You, awesome. You like I, those? It reminded me a lot of uh, uh, American Werewolf in London. You know, when his friend uh, kept coming back. What a great comparison! That's exactly right. Yeah, and the, yeah, the friend is almost antagonistic, even though like they're working together, and it, you you think there is this. Uh, relationship there it is almost antagonistic like is he like he's he's poking at richard and oh, he's yeah. poking at the guy's poking at the you know like why don't you kill yourself man and he's telling richard like you know how this ends you know like yeah yeah like Amer just like america yeah. you know like, you're gonna become this beast oh you my gosh i didn't even think about that and also that's such a gen x movie i wonder man it's it's it almost to too good. It must have been an influence, or oh, is yeah, that yeah. or is that trope been done? It's been done more than just American World One. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I, that that for him I'm that sure would that has. would be the go to one. Yeah, because it was real. It was comedic, and oh, also the guy comedic. dies in the first act. He comes yeah. back in. Oh, the blood and like him, like getting more and more decrepit as time goes. Yeah. You're right, man. Good one, Jay. That's an excellent comparison. <laughs> Did you just pull that? Did you just pull that out of your ass right now? No, I thought of it when I was when I was Why reading. Why are you watching like, it? Oh, oh. I wonder how. Well, yeah, when I was listening to the 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 
the audiobook, I'm like, I wonder how close these parallels are going to get. Because wow. I started thinking about that's that. such a fun character to have in a story too that can be really be hidden. I don't think that's being used enough. That comedic resurrected character. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to throw that into something here. <laughs> like that subconscious, yeah. you know. It reminds me of like in the cartoon where like the little devil, you know, like the the old Bugs Bunny ones with like the little devil bugs with a one shoulder, yeah. little angel bug, you know? Yeah. So, so you watched the movie mm-hmm. and you, so you pretty much read it. Did you finish the book before you watched the movie? Yes. Yes. So, I wasn't sure I was going to watch the movie. Yeah, I just, I had time. time. So what did you think? What did you think about the, the, between the two? Uh, well, like I said, one of the biggest disappointments was that he ended up getting Francois, and yeah. which was really dumb. I thought it was, and because that's one of the parts I liked the most about the book. Um, I thought it was weird that, like, he had sex with Sal, and then oh, I, I think about it was that. We- yeah, yeah, yes, and then that's why Francois <laughs> broke up with him, and and then it was weird because, like, so he got on the movie, got back to the island after having sex with Sal, who had a really big boyfriend who did not yeah. like. Richard Bugs is good. Bugs is a good depiction in that movie, though. He's like they all were. I I always use that line, Richard. Can you do this? Can you do anything? A man's (laughs) got to have a talent in his hands, Richard. I use that all the time if I do this. I'm like, a man's got to have a talent in his hands. Yeah. (laughs) Or when Kitty is like, you know, like, look at your hands, man. This is look at mine. This is a powerful index of incompatibility. And because he's the opposite, right? Kitty plays video games in it, but in this one, he's like this. He goes, and Leonardo Capra's like, what are you saying? He goes, you play a lot of video games, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Look at your thumbs, yeah. Yeah, he was, he was much more of an outsider in the movie than he was in the book. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought, I didn't think the book botched it so hard. I think they got a lot of it right. You mean the movie? You know, I think. Yeah, yeah, I mean the the movie. Yeah, yeah. I like a lot of the 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 casting in it, and uh, even the part where he killed the shark. Yeah, was it, it captured the same vibe? In, and in I say unto thee, I shall provide. Like <laughs> I think Caprio did. A, I think it's an underrated Caprio movie. I understand why. Like it, it came out right after Titanic. It was his follow up after Titanic. So of course it's not that thing. But Danny Boyle did a great job of capturing that. That's the thing that the, the movie adds is just the like Moby soundtrack to oh yeah to the like the beach techno. yeah yeah I think you know I mentioned Fight Club earlier but I think the beach movie did not get promoted well I don't think it got promoted because I remember when this movie came out and I thought it looked boring because I thought it looked like uh like just some boring castaway type thing like mm. oh he goes to the beach and he lives off the land yeah uh, you know a typical kind of lord of the flies or or uh something in the to that you know and i'm like it looks boring but it it didn't say anything about the backpacker culture of it yeah yeah like the anti you know authority type you know anti um society a lot like fight club they, they pitched fight club it's, the it's same way it's pal nook yeah it's a very pal nook type story and 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 feeling to it yeah, I mean, they they pitched Fight Club like a, some sort of like meathead boxing thing, you know, yeah. and that's what I remember a bunch of meatheads started boxing, underground box because of it. It's like, dude, you missed the whole concept of the movie. 
Yeah. And it's kind of reminds me of the same way this was marketed. Same thing. Um, I think if it would have been, if they would have captured that in some of the, the trailers, I, it probably would have seemed more interesting to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I, I remember watching that movie just for like the aesthetic, like how they have the lagoon they shot it in, how they set up their little, their tribe, showing the characters. And uh, the movie missed one of my favorite characters, which was Jed. They kind of wrapped Kitty. Mm-hmm. Kitty was kind of Jed and like a, a little mix between it. But the character of Jed is probably thinking Danny Boyle is right to maybe jettison that character just for like too many characters and what you yeah, need in there. Let's let's yeah. let's let's put Richard out a little bit more on his own, a little less uh, support system. But in the book, I found Jed an interesting character uh, uh, as well. Jed is kind of like the the. Uh, the Richard before Richard, like that's where they, they yeah. are in common. He's an outsider among outsiders. And, um, and there's a code, like he kind of helps develop, get develop this code with, with Richard. And he becomes his, the opposite coin of Daffy. He's like, Richard, you're losing it. Like these, you know, characters are dying in this, in the novel, like slowly dying from, you know, um, shark attacks and, and things like that. And, um, the way they go about that in the book, I think, is a slower burn. But yeah. Um, so, uh, what else? Anything else about this novel as we kind of start to wrap things up? One of my favorite parts of this novel, I just want to touch on this really quick because I thought it was great, um, was the part where he got stuck in that cove. Um, Oh my gosh! That so was... what Jay is talking about is because it is in a cove, they have to like dive into this crack and like to get to their boat, which is in like this little cave. They have to go blind under the water oh. into like this rock quarry, and they don't know how long they have to swim. It's like you have to hold your yeah, breath they don't know. <laughs> a long, long enough. So go ahead. No, yeah, and they, you know they have to swim in the total darkness and try to swim in one direction because there's several other uh, uh, paths that lead to who knows where. So you have to keep your bearings straight. You have to keep your head on your shoulders. And if just something goes awry, you lose your direction. You end up in these air pockets under these rocks that if you're lucky, it's the tide's low enough so that you, there's still Breathe. some oxygen yeah. in there. And there's creatures. There's there's at one point he's puking growth. over himself, and it's just like oh, he's yeah. swimming in his own puke because he he's freaking out. He's doesn't scared, know where he is. He's yeah. vomiting. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Terrifying. that was one of yeah, the most hands. claustrophobic. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. Sweaty I also I, the highlight for me is when they go on the rice run because every now and then when they have to go to the, to get rice because they're not growing their own rice. And he goes back, they go back, he goes back with Jed and they go to like, uh, like a little village there and they go get burgers and like Schindler's List is playing in the back and they make it a big point to talk about Schindler's List and playing Space Invaders and whatever it is. But he talks about like, go look at yourself in the mirror. He's like, what? He goes, it's going <laughs> to freak you out, man. 
you haven't seen yourself in like three months. And Richard goes in the mirror and he looks at himself in the mirror and he's, of course his skin's darker, like everything has changed and it freaks him out because there's no mirrors other than the little shaving mirror on the island. And he comes back to Jed and he goes, right, why don't you go look? He goes, no, I've been saving it up for a year. I really <laughs> want to freak myself out. Yeah, yeah, that's a cool part. So um, uh, I'm gonna have you uh, speak for a moment on if you would recommend this and who you'd recommend this to. Ah, that's very interesting. Um, I think I, I probably would recommend this to, um, again, like we were talking about, I think it's very Gen X, and I would recommend this to people who are of that mindset who are of that um, living uh, uh, in society, but not of society, you know, uh, people who do consider themselves outsiders um, with, with that whole aspect that we were talking about, the whole Gen X thing of, of uh, wanting to be something more. The idea that there's, there's, there's got to be something other than the superficial, uh, materialistic society I see before me, and just always trying to seek that out, seek out like the the, the real meaning of life, the real meaning of, of of who I am and what I am to somebody else, and you know, like we were saying, like a lot of those movies, Matrix, like like Fight Club, like what's the real meaning of it, kind of thing. So. Probably other Gen Xers. I, I don't think millennials will either get it or appreciate it. And I don't think anybody older than me uh, really cares yeah. <laughs> about that kind of mindset. Um, so, yeah, probably just Gen Xers. The you know like the movie was geared towards like the alternative crowd you right. know like like and also if you're an alternative Wobie crowd, fan. it's a good it's a quick vacation read. It, yeah. It gives oh, yeah. you that kind of buzz. I, I remember when I was a kid reading this, and it made me want to go travel. I don't think it would have that effect now on me as an adult, but um, I would give I this like if if you know anyone who's got like a kid in college, and you're like, ah, oh, let me, I'm gonna go visit them or whatever it is, or I gotta send them something. This is a good college level book, and like it could it could turn a kid on into, I think my whole idea in life is to like turn kids on, turn kids on, uh, turn kids on. to like traveling. <laughs> and so by any means necessary, like what can I do to, to get you to like leave the country and to, to take a trip outside and, and with your friends, not with your family. I don't want you to go on a vacation or you go to like Rocky point with your parents. I'm talking about getting on a plane by yourself going somewhere or, or with your friends or meeting someone up in a place and doing that. And so whatever I can do to get someone to get excited about that at a young age, uh, I think this is a book that would, would do that. So if you, if you're a, a Jay and I's era now in your, your thirties and forties, then, um, yeah, you might like it. You might not like it, but I guarantee it's, it's a good quick, uh, read for, um, uh, uh any college age kids in your life. Yeah, yeah. Or or likewise, you know, like I said, people that remember that mindset. Yeah. You know, remember your the adol your adolescence. Because I certainly do, man. I never really out 
I I never really outgrew that mentality, to be honest yeah. with you. Um, I still feel parts of that every day. Yeah. You know? It's interesting here because I live on an island, but I live in the tourist part of it. Like, there's hotels all around here. And, like, already the other day I was going out there and there was... Because it's COVID, so there's not a lot of tourists. But you could tell the tourist part. And I've only been living here for a week and I'm like fucking tourist <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even have my stuff in this apartment yet and i'm already like fucking tourist hi tourist get the fuck out of here howlies yeah <laughs> so. well um that wraps up the three uh large media aspects of our thing point break uh dogtown the z boys and the beach which leaves us with one more episode in the beach set and it's uh, jay and i's favorite part of any set it's where we each pick seven songs related to our theme next episode we will debut these songs to you we'll put them on spotify we'll put them on youtube so you can listen along with us you can have our playlist you can even write us uh on instagram or facebook anything that you want to include and you know what i'm gonna tell you this right now jay uh if anyone is listening and goes to our facebook and writes says oh top beach song boom i will put that shit on the playlist we will go even past, if it's Bette Midler. Even if it's Bette Midler. <laughs> I, listen, don't take my Bette Midler because I'm going to put that one on. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it will be interesting to see what it is. I think I might go back to the kind of the way we were. It, it differs depending on what kind of sets it was. Like the Ladies of Rock one was a little bit different. But I think what we kind of try to do is we, we kind of try to remember the conversations we had about the beach based on the different media. And then we try to pick songs that relate to those ideas. The tricky part mm. is getting a song to relate to those ideas and also have a beach vibe. That's where the extra layer of difficulty is going to come in with this one, Jay. Because I don't want to pick a song that's theme-related, but that is, doesn't feel like something you could listen to on the beach. On the beach. So my mm-hmm. goal is going to be mm-hmm. to revisit some of those ideas we talked about in the package of a beach vibe song, man. And then there's mm. also just going to be some just classic beach vibe bangers on there. They have nothing to do with uh, 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 what we talked about. Because you gotta have beach, them on there. Yeah. Beach blanket bangers. Beach blanket bangers. That, that, <laughs> that would be the title of our playlist. Pop Bonsai's <laughs> Beach Blanket Bangers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. All right. So uh, you can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. Just search Pop Bonsai. B-A-N-Z-A-I. And uh, you can leave us a review if you want. That's always kind of nice. That gets us in front of more people, just uh, algorithm-wise. If not, that's cool too, man. You do you. We're on the beach. We're just chilling. And we'll be chilling here until the next Pop Wave.